My guest for today is the author of the short story collection, Yes, Yes, Cherries. Her fiction, essays, and poetry have been published in Best New American Voices, Electric Literature, The Los Angeles Times, Los Angeles Review of Books, and numerous other literary journals and anthologies. Her forthcoming novel, Bursts, is scheduled for release in April of 2023 by Zibby Books. You can see her in person Sunday, April 23rd at 3 p.m. where she will be speaking on a panel at the Los Angeles Times Festival of Books. Welcome to the show. Show, Mary Otis. Thank you, Mark. What a lovely introduction. It's really exciting to be here with you today. Well, I have to start by just saying your novel Bursts just blew me away. I, such a, let me put, put it out. We'll talk more extensively about it, but, you know, I kind of want to go back. Uh, I know we briefly kind of, uh, 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 I, I just want to give you all the kudos. I mean, it, 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 it you know, there were places where, well, like the ending, I'm glad it was a happy ending, but like I wept <laughs> during part of it. So, um, but uh, <laughs> just to, and we briefly talked about it. We first met years and years and years ago through mutual friends. It was a very intimate little gathering. Uh, our, our mutual friends, Benji Schick and, and Stephen Rogers. And then you had a friend of yours come, and then I had my friend David Shockett too. And uh, really, the only common thing that we had, and you know, as far as knowing people, was was Benji and 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 Stephen. So it's kind of interesting that through all these years, it's, it has to have been at least two decades that wow. you've kind of kept popping up on my radar. Uh, <laughs> uh, I, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but you did the lead in Othello too, correct? I did. Yeah, I did. I so, played Desdemona. That would have been around the period that I met you yeah. when I was doing theater. And I'd, I hadn't lived here long in Los Angeles. Huh. I'd only lived here a couple of years. Well, it's very interesting. You have no Boston accent. I don't. <laughs> Is that something you um, consciously got rid of or did you just never have no, one? Um, you know, I, I grew, grew up with uh, five brothers and sisters and for whatever reason, uh, nobody really has hmm. it. Um, but it, you know, many of my friends had very, uh, thick Boston accents, I think because, um, a lot of my older brothers and sisters were born in Wisconsin mm -hmm. and I, I was actually born in Wisconsin, but mm -hmm. we moved to the Boston area when I was two. Mm -hmm. So, um, maybe just that Midwest <laughs> influence, although we don't really have the Midwest accent either. Mm -hmm. Maybe the Midwest accent cancels out the Boston accent. I'm not sure, but, um, yeah, I do like the accent and I think it's, a a difficult accent sometimes when I hear it in a film or something. I think it's one of the trickier ones to pick up. Mm -hmm. hmm. uh, what was your childhood like growing up in Boston? Um, great. I mean, I didn't grow up in the city. Um, uh, I grew up outside of Boston, uh, Southwest in a, a small town and, you know, it was a, a town, um, you know, just very pr almost country-ish. Um, and I would say like Mayberry RFD, but of course it had its quirks and, you know, um, unusual circumstances. So it wasn't quite, you know, like a Pollyanna sort of place, but it, um, it was a wonderful place to grow up when I just think about some of the simplicity, you know, of the things we did as kids and what seemed great, you know, like going down to the river or, you know, just really basic stuff, you, you riding your bikes and, you know, things like that. Um, the school system is really wonderful, was wonderful, is still wonderful there. And I had a lot of really, really great teachers and I always really liked school. Hmm. So um, 
I I was fortunate on on that angle as well. Who were who were some of your favorite teachers? Uh, well, it's funny because somebody had just posted uh, something on social media about the the English teacher uh, named Mrs. Welsh saying, oh, you know, Mrs. Welsh would be proud of you. And she was this wonderful kind of, you know, she did not suffer fools gladly. Um, and she was uh, a, a very, but also very sensitive. And, you know, I just remember we would like, you know, read aloud from the classics in her class and mm. Um, for some reason, I'm, I'm remembering we were every year watching um, this old film of A Tale of Two Cities, you know, with Miss, Miss Havisham burning in her wedding dress, you know, and it was this old, old film. Um, and I don't know, something about the memory of that, you know, it seemed like we were always seeing it just when school was about to get out and it was hot and you're watching this woman in a fire. <laughs> and uh, um, yeah, but it was, she was uh, one of many, many great teachers. Were you a, a popular kid growing up? Oh, that's an interesting question. Um, you know, I think when I was maybe first to about fifth grade, I think I was probably, you know, just sort of, I think I was a bit of a loner, actually. Um, and then I met my best friend who I uh still know very, you know, very well, the, the new girl in town, and we became very, very close, Thalia. And so that kind of burst that open for me. And then I think um, through junior high and high school, I became a lot more social. And so, you know, I hung around with all the different um, types of groups. And yeah, so I kind of feel like I know both of those angles. And I still kind of am that way as an adult. I think you know, I like being out among people and I like talking to people, but I'm also very happy to uh, be inward and, and alone <laughs> for periods of time, which, you know, works well for a writer. Mm -hmm. As a child, uh, what did you want to be when you grew up? Initially, I mean, I think when when people first start talking to you about this, maybe somewhere around sixth grade, I would have I thought that I wanted to be a veterinarian, but um, you know, ultimately the the amount of science and <laughs> that just would be required to become a veterinarian was not. You know, I always was leaning more towards towards English and uh, liberal arts, um, and so I I never thought I was going to become a writer. I was always a reader, though. Mm -hmm. And there's a interesting um, tie-in with with Ben Schick. <laughs> And and how I I started to write. What is that tie-in with Ben Sheck that that it, it, he's kind of <laughs> instrumental? I in? thought you'd never ask. Um, <clears throat> he, I had met him out here in Los Angeles, as you said. When, when how'd we you meet all, him? Which, uh, at Maria Gobetti's acting class, up uh, off of Victory Boulevard, mm -hmm. and we were both we were both in Othello. And I was in a play, I got in a play at that theater pretty quickly when I came out, this play called The Carney Rod and Gun Club, um, which was, uh, I was the only woman in the club. And all I remember about that was like learning little tricks with the gun to like, look like you really knew how to handle a gun. I'm such an anti-gun person. So when I, <clears throat> when I think back on this, that's really funny to me to like, you know, know how to look like you know how to handle the gun. Um, but he was at that theater too at that time, a great group of people. And um, so uh, we were in Othello together, then we knew each other socially um, and we knew had friends in common at that point. 
But it, maybe it was one or two years later, um, he was taking a class at Santa Monica College. And I don't know what the class was, but he he's he said to me, um, you know, I would sometimes call him with these observations of things I'd see, see around LA. And because I still hadn't lived there that long, and because coming from the East Coast, I mean, it's a really, really different scenario when you first, you know, arrive, especially I lived in Venice. Uh, that was my first place. And Venice isn't quite like it is now, but, you know, it just seems so wild and just, I didn't have a point of reference for it. And I was always, you know, noticing things and telling him about these things. And at, after a point, he said, have you ever thought of taking a writing class? Hmm. And I said, no, um, but I did go take the class. And that is how I took that turn towards writing. I just signed up with a teacher there who, uh, I picked because I liked his name, Jim Crusoe, and it turns out he's one of the best writing teachers. He's retired now, but he has helped so, so many writers in LA. Truly wonderful, wonderful writer. And so that suggestion that he made um, really had me make a significant change in, in the direction I was going in. Hmm. Uh, has have your childhood experience inf influenced your writing? I don't know if you kind of go off of what you know and adapt that to whatever degrees with your imagination as well, or if you totally just research what things you're interested in, though they might not pertain to you personally at all. It's both, because I think, you know, this teacher that I'm talking about, Jim Crusoe, who's so wonderful, one of the um, things that he would always urge people is to trust your subconscious. And um, not so many teachers say that, you know, because there's so, you know, some people come in at, always about craft. And of course, craft is incredibly important. And I know from teaching, I can, I can help anyone with craft, but a writer being able to access their subconscious I think that's something that's special. And if, like, if I can help somebody do that, that's half the battle because um, I think your childhood has an Im incredible influence on, on how you see the world and those early formative experiences. You know, there's a quote, um, gosh, I can't think who, who said it, but it's something like if you've lived to five years old, you've had enough enough in your life to 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 write for the rest of your life i will have to get the quote to you later but um well, that beats I think what, what i thought because my thought was if you've lived a certain amount of time that everyone has at least one good story to tell if you've been on this planet but i was thinking much older than five but uh you know you're you're saying five though like by five you've had enough experiences and emotional input to, to possibly i mean formative experiences of course there's so many other experiences you know there's probably something that happened just this week that i wouldn't have been able to write about it till now you know so it's it's all of it but you're i think for writers your interiority um how you see that world that i think starts forming pretty pretty early um, and then there's a lot of other factors that play in because I do research a lot. For example, I researched a lot on, on dance for this book, because even though I took a few classes here and there, I was never, you know, going on a, a full on pr 
professional trajectory or anything like that. So um, I love to research and I, um, but I think if you can wed those things, you know, mm -hmm. the research and your imagination and who, how you see the world in the deepest ways that that can be really helpful. Well, that's interesting and also addresses a question I was going to ask because I had kind of assumed that you had a pretty substantial background in dance. Just physically, you've always looked like you could be a dancer from the very first time that I met you. Uh, and then, you know, the the detail <laughs> that you put into your writing about dance kind of made me think that. But but you pretty much were probably like me, an actor that takes dance classes and and versus someone actually, you know, wanting to be a professional dancer. But um, um, your your detail is, is is quite, quite wonderful. Do you have any. Uh, Thank you. Uh, early, Thank you. you're quite welcome. Well deserved. Do you have any earliest memories involving your own creative expression, like when you were a kid, how you would express yourself creatively? Uh, yeah, I have a couple. I mean, when I when I think about writing, because like I said, I never thought that was going to be something I did. I was, you know, a real reader. And, you know, all summer long, I remember being on the banana bike, you know, trawling all my many books back and forth to the library. And, you know, they would do this little contest, like if you read the most books and reviewed them, you'd win another book. And I remember, you know, like winning that. And, you know, that was really important to me. So reading was really important. But writing, the only thing I really remember from that time is having a little diary that my grandmother gave me hmm. and I still have it somehow it made all the way it made it through all the many moves of my life hmm. and it's hilarious to look at my neat thoughts at, <laughs> at nine or ten years old huh. um, but when I think it's funny because when I think about um, when you're saying an early artistic experience one of the things I think of is um, I really loved to draw I think like if you'd ask that child like oh I wish I could be a painter or I wish I could draw I have so much respect I can't draw at all in my opinion you know there's people that say just go take a class and you'll see you'll be able to do something you know which is how I feel about writing because people say oh I have nothing to say and I'll say come to a class you know I'll help you I'll help you find what it is you want to say but um I really, really wanted to be able to draw well. <laughs> and uh, as I mentioned, I have older brothers and sisters and I would get frustrated because they could draw so well without really factoring in, you know, they're 14 years older than you are. And I, and I remember one time, you know, doing um, some kind of like watercolor or something. I was always painting this queen, just the same queen, the same queen over and over with her you know, big dress in her little head. <laughs> and so I was painting her and um, I wanted to, to submit it to like a, a another one of these like little contests, you know, that they have in town. And the harder I tried, I just kept adding more and more paint, trying to make it better. And it just was this horrible, sodden, wet piece of paper. The queen was just lost in a blur of many colors, you know, and I remember just like crying. It's like, I can't paint. So um, <laughs> that sounds... You know, uh... I'm in the same boat. Uh, I, I have a huge <laughs> respect for artists, but I, I drawing stick figures can be challenging at times. 
That's exactly, that's exactly how I feel. So I, I feel fortunate that I can, um, rely, rely on words to paint images, you know, hmm. that's how I can do it. So, but I don't know, maybe I'll, maybe I'll still take a, a drawing class one day and, you know, break through that idea that I, I can't even draw the stick figure. So it's never too late. Were, were your parents always supportive of your artistic endeavors? Uh, yeah. I mean, I think when, when I was young, um, you know, uh, I, I could have piano lessons or, you know, um, singing lessons or, um, order the books from scholastic books. You know, I always remember my mother was like, you can order as many as you want. And, you know, that was really lucky because, you know, that again, writing and reading go hand in hand, you know, and so that early reading, um, so they were, uh, definitely supportive of, of, of arts, you know, going to see theater, going to see dance, um, and various brothers and sisters have various talents in different types of the arts too. Oh, that's fantastic. What did your parents or what do your, do or did your parents do for a living? Uh, my parents have, have passed. Uh, my mother was a nurse and, uh, my father was uh, an executive at mobile mobile hmm. oil. So, uh, yeah, I mean, fairly traditional, traditional family, I would say. So the transition from actress to writer began with Benji Sheck. <laughs> I'm not even sure if I've ever really told him this. It seems like I would have, but I haven't spoken to him since probably that time we were all watching fireworks back in the, the apartment in La Brea. Hmm. But I do want to tell him. And I think send him a copy of my book. So, you know. Well, that's pretty, pretty special. Uh, when was the first time that you remember realizing that you had a special gift for writing? Or or do you consider it maybe not so much a gift as a lot of hard work or both? It's definitely both. Um, I think I that teacher that I told you about, uh, Jim Crusoe, he was saying that to me far before I felt that way, hmm. you know, you know, this is what, you know, this is something that you are, you know, good at and that you, that you can pursue this. Um, I mean, he wasn't per se, per se saying pursue it professionally. I mean, I was just starting, but like he, you know, was like, come back again, come to my advanced class, you know, and uh, very, very supportive of the work. Um, start sending out. It's like sending out, sending out my work. Are you hmm. kidding me? You know, and I I had some publications pretty early on. And so this, you were at things, what age at this point? Oh, gosh, that was like in my 30s. But yeah. I didn't immediately go like, um oh, I'm going to, you know, that's it. Now I'm a writer. It mm -hmm. still took a Process. quite a number of years. Like, okay, even when I was publishing, you know, mm -hmm. because for the kind of writing I do, you, um, you, you get, you want to get published in literary journals primarily. So mm -hmm. that's what I was doing. But I was starting to kind of transition because I thought maybe I'd go back to New York because I really liked, you know, like classical theater. And I did that at Bennington uh, where I went to college. Um, and at the time, just some of the roles that were available, I think, you know, so like the kind of ensembles you see now on so many different shows were not quite <laughs> um, as complex, you know, at that point. And I felt like the kind of roles that you would go up for it just wasn't really connecting with what I 
really wanted. So I thought, okay, maybe I'll go back to New York, go back and just start doing theater there. But that's when the writing started coming in. And so mm-hmm. then I became more and more pulled toward that. And so it, it's kind of funny how that happened. But, you know, with writing, I mean, no one's ever going to cast me as a four-year-old boy, but I can write a four-year-old boy. Mm-hmm. And that's super freeing to me. And I also think that um, a lot of the skills that you use in acting or the things that you train for are so useful in writing, you know, if, whether it's interior life or dialogue or how a character moves or, um, you know, where is the conflict? What are the stakes? Um, even setting the the scene, you know, you're kind of the set decorator, you're the director, you're the casting director, you know, so that's where I think I've seen over the years, um, so many people who are actors, uh, it's it, they come in at a certain level for writing from from having that kind of training, hmm. just how they think about characters. Mm-hmm. Do you remember the first story that you ever wrote? The a, a first full story? First story that just you personally wrote, and then I want to want to know if you can recall the first story that you actually got published, which I'm sure you do remember that. But do you remember the first story that you even just completed that story and and it was done? It, it, those two things may converge. Oh, I think okay. it may have been the first one. Huh. The it was called the Mustard Seed, and it's I was in Santa Monica Review, and you know to me that's still the goalpost. You know it's always moving, but. I always thought, wow, if I could just get one thing published, you know, the end, this will be so, you know, this, an amazing achievement. I remember being very, very, very excited hmm. about that. How does one go about getting published? What's the process? Um, well, generally, you know, you, um, if it's a short story, you want to get it as far as you can get it so that it's polished and as, you know, that you've had possibly some other people read it, give you feedback or a teacher or, you know, so that you're doing a few drafts, you've got it as strong as you can get it. And then you send it out to different venues that appeal to you, you know, and different ones kind of each literary journal kind of has their own wheelhouse and kind of things that maybe they especially prefer. I mean, most good journals are going to publish uh, a range of work. For example, uh, one I like a lot on the West Coast um, is Ziziva. They're up in San Francisco. And uh, so they they publish a real nice wide range of voices. And they also, you know, they publish poetry, they publish um, art within the journal. So um, I, I love li- literary journals and um, that's how you would generally start. It's, it's possible maybe to if you're writing a novel, you could potentially get um, a book deal before you've done that. But if you were doing a short story collection, as I did on my first book, you usually go and, you know, um, try to get some of the stories published first before that. Hmm. Where do you get the uh, where do you get your ideas from? Do they come like in a dream or do you think, well, this is a viable uh, demographic. Let me write something to appeal to that demographic. That's interesting. I don't think I've ever written that way. Sort of like, I am going to write this for that. Um, but yes, I do sometimes get images in in a dream. There are times that I've gotten up in the night and wrote down something that was seemed so powerful to me. Um, 
and often it is like if something's waking you up in the middle of the night, it's usually something you may want to write about, mm -hmm. you know. Um, but I think I get my ideas pretty much anywhere, you know, going to the grocery store or taking a walk or or just sitting at a stoplight and looking over at somebody um, just in the most basic situations, overhearing dialogue, uh, seeing just seeing a, an image that seems a little off skew, you know, things like that, that can always be the seed of a, of a much longer story. Hmm. So you might be in line at the supermarket or whatever and hear two people talking and then you can just take that little bit that you've heard in that five or 10 minutes and make a whole story out of it. Yes. But the, the, the caveat is um, I work with, I've always worked with index cards because I like, I like to hold something in my hand and for some reason, like uh, just letting them accrue, I often keep them in cigar boxes. It's this whole little process um, that they kind of heat up while they're in there and and because I may not know what the story is. I mean, if I if I just have an image of the way somebody's moving their hands and I know I want to use it, I'm not sure that's going to be strong enough to completely launch me into a story, but I am almost certain I'll use that that image on that card somewhere sometime. Hmm. Um, I just don't always know when. Sometimes I'll hear the first line of a story and and that will pull me into the story. What was one of the most surprising things that you learned in creating one of your stories as you were doing research? Is there um, one of the, oh gosh, I learned so many strange things when I'm <laughs> researching that make me want to write other things, you know, because you can just go down the rabbit hole for hours with just so many, you know, strange facts about science or the weather or just all all kinds of things, um, social mores from 300 years, mm -hmm. 300 years ago. But um, those things are fun when you come across them. I would say one of the most surprising things I learned wasn't related to research, but one time I had a story that was seemingly working very well about a couple who wanted to like, run away from their lives, kind of based on something I had heard about these two uh, people who both left their marriages at the same time, and they were going to, uh, you know, kind of run away together. And so, uh, and it would take quite a bit to do it. It would take a lot of risk, you know, because they weren't, you know, junior high school kids or something like that. So the story was working well, and I got all the way to the end, and uh, they didn't want to, it just felt like they didn't want to go. The, the story did not want to go in that direction. Mm -hmm. So um, sometimes I feel like you think a character is going to do something and they they don't want to do it. Hmm. They want to do something else. Hmm. And so often that's a better, more organic thing than what you had in mind. But that kind of ghost motivation that got you that far in the story still has value because it you know, it's like a carrot. It led you through. It got you to that point. And then you thought, then you think, oh, wow, that's not what's really going to happen. But it it took you that far. So I always have respect for the things that don't work or like titles. I'll be very wed to a title sometimes. And then it gets me all the way to the end of the story. And I think, oh, that's not the title. But, you know, it did this honorable work of the ghost title for three months, you know? Mm -hmm. Hmm. When when you're engaged in the writing process, do you usually have specific goals in mind? 
Um, well, when I'm doing these things like writing down images, thoughts, ideas on the cards, probably no. But once I'm in a story, definitely, you know, I want to finish the story or, you know, working on a larger for in a larger format like the novel, which there's so much space to move versus a short story, which is very, you know, contained. And you have a lot more, lot more room to move and explore other things. When, when you are working, uh, do you give yourself a schedule? Um, yes, yes. Um, I, I do. I do, especially, you know, when working on this novel, for example, at a certain point, um, I wrote a lot of it out of order early on. I was kind of writing to the hot spots, like, um, I don't want to give anything away about the ending, but what happens with the mother? That was one of the very first things that I wrote. So it's hmm. like, where, where does this go? What, you know, but it felt very uh, urgent and, you know, kind of hot. Like, so I thought, okay, that's going to be something. I don't know where it's going to go in this, but it felt important. So I feel like for me, there's a, a, a period of just getting it down, just getting the writing down. But then with a the novel, you need to structure it. I mean, you can't just go, okay, that's it, you know? So um, yes, I had many goals of, you know, I'm structuring these chapters and then I'm going to find the through line here. So like the, the technical part of it, which is incredibly important, you know, you need your craft. Hmm. And is that typical for you to have your ending, to know where it's going to end and then kind of mesh it out or is it, was it just that particular instance? Uh, it was that I've had it happen with a couple stories too. So it's like this big clue, but you don't know what comes before it. But I feel like if for a story, you know, if I have like three or four of those things, um, that's enough to help me kind of like reach through the story hand by you know, hand over hand. Like I've got these things, these four things I can reach for. And that can help me get through the story. So usually it's an emotional thing. It's it's not always an idea. It's like a feeling, an image, but it's got to be pretty strong. Hmm. Do you do you write every day, even if you're not working on a particular project, just to keep that muscle going? Or do you just write when you have a project? And when you do have a project, what's your normal kind of schedule routine? Um, well, like for, you know, for example, right now it's in the run up to the book coming out. So there's like tons and tons of things to do right now. Um, so, um, although I am, I just wrote an essay. Um, I had two excerpts just come out that were related to the book to support the launch of the book. So writing for, in support of that, um, I like to always write as much as I can. I, when you said the word muscle, I think that's true. It's like, you're, you're always working that muscle. I don't, I know some writers I've heard of who, uh, you know, they work really, really rigorously and intensely for, you know, months or years or whatever, and then they stop for six months or something. And I think that's valid too, you know, different people work different ways. And I know from teaching, people often get very worried about what is the right way, you know, what is mm -hmm. the right way to work? You know, it, 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 some people just like to sit down and write straight through um, I like to edit a lot as I go. And uh, s some people of either school think the other school is wrong. You know, like if you, when I pick up where I le left off, I want to edit it again the next day. Um, so some people would say, no, you just write straight through or vice versa. So, I mean, the one thing I think is important if somebody has a teacher is that they are helping you find your actual best 
organic way rather than, you know, like squashing a template on your process, like this is how you must do it or else, because I worry about that sometimes. I think it it takes people off their natural course. It's like it's like if somebody's left-handed, you know, back in the day, they used to make people uh, write with their right hand, you know? Hmm. I don't know ever. I had a sister who, you know, uh, was telling me about that, that she was not allowed to write with her left hand. Hmm. Uh, what do you think are the elements of a good story? What makes good content? When I'm, I mean, it can be a number of things. For me, um, deep emotional stakes will will take me very far in a story, whether I'm writing it or whether I'm reading it. Um, cause and effect, you know, to see what an action when a character just like in theater or a film like when a character takes an action what is going to be the consequence what what will happen what will they do then i mean i think that's what we always want to know like what 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 will they do next you know that kind of thing mm -hmm. i also really like to read um on the language level so for me um i like to read just beautiful unique prose as well i, I do like to have something happen. I'm, I, I'm, I really like character driven work. I like rich characters, complex characters. Um, so those are a few of the things. Do you know right away after you've written it, if something is going to resonate with an audience or do you really need that feedback to, 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 uh, I, d I don't really know. I mean, I feel like if I, if I feel very passionate about it, then hopefully there will be some others that feel that way too. Um, it's hard to predict who, you know, who exactly is going to be the ideal reader. And I don't think you can, um, I'm not sure there is an ideal reader. And I don't know, I mean, I sometimes I've had people, students say, oh, you know, like, should I write to this market? You know, because there is a lot of concern you know, what, what kinds of things are publishers acquiring, you know, what, what is, uh, what are certain genres that people seem to be especially interested in. And um, it's true, it's good to, to learn about those things. But, you know, if somebody's saying, oh, you know, YA, that's a hot market, you know, young adult, mm -hmm. but you're like, well, I don't want to write YA, you shouldn't sit down, <laughs> I don't think and go, okay, well, if that's what's going to sell, I'll do that. You know, I think there's always a place for, um, you know, when I was writing short stories, people would be like, why are you even doing that? People say they don't sell. And mm. perhaps they don't sell as much as a novel, but there will always be a place for a good short story collection. And you can always, you know, and when I mentioned the literary journals, you know, they were always, literary journals deeply support short stories mm -hmm. so i feel like a lot of it you know you kind of have to go with your heart on this too to write your best work what you want to write about mm -hmm. which can take a while to find you know your real voice how you really see the world and that i think is very exciting when you're working um, when i'm working with a student to see them find that because i always can just even early on i can sometimes see glimmers of what's going to be special about this person's writing but sometimes there's some stuff 
covering it up, <laughs> you know, like mm-hmm. I was taught to write this way in high school. So mm-hmm. I'm going to, you know, write this way. That's not at all how I think. And once you get those things cleared out of the way that are kind of messing up the works, mm-hmm. then you can really get the, you know, the essence of what's really special about that particular person. Don't call me Corey Baker, call me Marco Potch, cause I'm not Julia's son, not anymore. Don't call me Corey Baker, call me Marco Paj, cause I'm not Julia's son like I was before.